When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine something. Just just walk with me for a second. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine it's the year 1980. All right? 1980. How do you communicate in 1980? Telephone, not even a cell phone either, just landline, telephone, maybe a fax machine. That's how the world communicates. Remember, even during the Cold War, there was just a landline telephone between the president and whoever was running the Soviet Union at the time. And I want you to imagine this. It's the year 1980. All we have are these telephones. The people who hate your guts control the telephones. They run all the telephone companies. They decide, get this, they also decide who doesn't get a phone anymore. If you're saying things on the phone they don't like, they'll show up at your house, give me your phone. No more phones for you. No more phone service for you at all. Does that sound like some weird, creepy sci-fi movie of some kind or something? Well, that's the world we live in right now. Technology has advanced to the point where now cell phones are important, don't get me wrong, but the way people communicate with each other on this planet now is through big tech. Twitter, Facebook, emails, these gigantic companies, Google, these are the companies that control information. These are the companies, well, they decide what can be seen and what can't be seen. They decide who gets a say, who doesn't get a say. Which all that wouldn't be the end of the world. It sounds vaguely creepy. It wouldn't be the end of the world, except they all hate your freaking guts. 
They hate everything you stand for. These are the companies. Remember, we're a year a year removed from the president of the United States of America, Donald Trump, having his Twitter account removed like that because they didn't like him. That's astounding. The president of the United States silenced. It's a big deal. It's a gigantic deal. And don't make this mistake. I've made mistakes like this in the past. Don't make this mistake of saying, oh, who cares? This is a Facebook or Twitter. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. World leaders communicate this way now. They get their message out. They communicate with each other now. Corporations, universities, this is how the world communicates. Social media is officially the public square. And the people controlling these social media companies hate your guts. They hate my guts. Remember, they're all in for election, too. Everyone's so excited about, oh, November 2022. Then maybe we'll get the presidency in 2024. Do I need to remind you they are responsible for winning Joe Biden the presidency in 2020? Oh, yeah, that's right. Maybe you forgot a bombshell story came out courtesy of the New York Post about Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden with some really dirty foreign ties. Joe Biden tied in with those foreign ties. What did big tech do? They took that story and they removed it so you couldn't see it. And then they removed anybody who tried to put the story out there. Complete censorship. Remember, they ran a poll after the election. Enough people said, I would have never voted for Joe Biden if I'd known that you'd still have President Donald Trump today. That's right. They're out there changing elections to go the way they want them to go. That's a huge deal, a gigantic deal. And it's, it goes way beyond censoring people like Donald Trump. They kicked off Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene for spouting science. Dr. Robert Malone. This is still maybe the creepiest example of censorship I've ever seen. Dr. Robert Malone is the inventor of the mRNA, that, that, the vaccine everyone's taking. This guy's the inventor of it. He's the expert's expert. You can't get more experty than Dr. Robert Malone. He went on Joe Rogan's gigantic show, The Joe Rogan Experience, and he said a bunch of things, calling out the regime, calling out what's happening, calling out the medical world, and these were all fact-based things because he's the inventor of it. They looked at the expert's expert and said, ooh, we got to silence that. And they removed the episode off of YouTube. That's a big deal. YouTube, you know, the way people consume vast quantities of information now. YouTube, who demonetized us here at The First. Thank you, by the way, for your continued support of The First. Don't worry, we're doing fine. But they decided we were saying too many uncomfortable things. Of course, I was involved in that. Demonetized it. My good friend Dan Bongino, several others, they've been silenced, demonetized, shut down. This is how the world communicates. Why are these people so interested in shutting people up? I'm not on here calling for violence. Neither is Dan or anyone else. No one on this network is. And yet they act like we're saying dangerous things. Why are they so concerned about different worldviews? I don't get concerned about communists speaking. I know their disgusting religion is gross and will be rejected once people find out the truth. Why are they concerned about me speaking? Why is the president of the United States of America joining them and calling for even more censorship?
you haven't gotten vaccinated, do it. Personal choice impacts us all, our hospitals, our countries. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. It has to stop. The president calling for the censorship of his political enemies, silencing them in the public square, that's a really, really, really big deal. So the last president gets banned. This president, apparently working in conjunction with big tech, calls for his enemies to be silenced. A big deal. And back to this Robert Malone thing. Let's hear it from him. If my voice, if, it, if there's no merit to my voice being in the conversation, whether I, it's true or not, whether I'm factually correct or not, let's park that just for a minute. Whether or not I'm right in everything I say, and I freely admit, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. It's one of my core points is people should think for themselves. I try really hard to give people the information and help them to think, not to tell them what to think. Okay? Um, but the point is, if, if I'm not, if, if it's not okay for me to be part of the conversation, even though I'm pointing out scientific facts that may be inconvenient, then who is, who can be allowed? Well, let's be honest, doctor. We know who can be allowed. This has nothing to do with right or wrong. It certainly doesn't have anything to do with the truth. People who are allowed on social media are people who aren't damaging the communists. As long as you're saying the things the communists want you to say, you'll remain. The second you start challenging them too hard, you'll be silenced, censored, demonetized, and run off. We understand what's happening here. I mean... COVID alone, how much, what was that word? Starts with an M, misinformation. How much disinformation has there been spread on social media about COVID-19? It's been everywhere. By all the people who are supposed to be experts. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Don't worry, vaccine's coming. Don't take the Trump vaccine. Up Joe Biden one, go out, get a vaccine, please. Okay, never mind. please get the vaccine or you're fired. The vaccine will keep you from getting coronavirus. The vaccine will keep you from spreading coronavirus. Okay, I can't do either of those things, but it'll make everything better. All right, it won't make everything better after about six months. You got to get a booster. Oh, wait, there's a new... Endless amounts of disinformation and misinformation are allowed as long as they are in service to the message out there of the system. And I keep coming back to this, that that scenario about 1980, them controlling the phones. That's where we're at now. The people who control how you communicate, how I communicate, they hate us. They despise us. Oh, and wait, you thought that was the end of the creepiness? They have your information. They have my information. Do you think it's an accident as you browse through websites and you'll all of, a start, all of a sudden start getting ads that seem like they're made for you. That's because they are made for you. That's because these websites, they grab your information, my information. They take it. And they don't just take it and hold on. Oh, we'll keep it for a vault. We'll keep it in a vault somewhere for you. No, no, no. They take your information and they sell it. Now, that's how it is now. 
These people don't go backwards. They don't decide, oh, I've had enough power. What does this look like five years from now, 10 years from now? What are they going to do with all that information of yours they have in their possession? You uncomfortable yet? It may make you uncomfortable, but I'm right. We have an outstanding special. My friend Alan Bakari joins us next. Our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but our role is to serve a healthy public conversation. And our moves are reflective of things that we believe lead to a healthier public conversation. The kinds of things that we we do to work about this is to focus less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you could understand him. There's a little bit of an accent there, but that was the CEO of Twitter saying, "We're not bound by the First Amendment. We're not worried about free speech. We're going to focus on the changing times." Joining me now, the guy who knows more about this stuff than anyone I've ever talked to in my life, Alan Bakari. He's obviously the Breitbart senior technology correspondent and the author of the book you should really read if you want to get creeped out called Deleted. It's about big tech's battle to erase the Trump movement and steal the election. Alan, let's start here. Twitter wasn't exactly a free speech paradise prior to this guy. Why make this move if you're Twitter? Uh, you're absolutely right. I have a rule with Silicon Valley companies. You know, however bad the previous CEO was, it can always get worse. And I think that's the case with uh, with the new Twitter CEO. We saw him come in and immediately go on a massive banning spree. Uh, he's particularly targeted independent journalists and independent news commentary accounts. He shut down a um, an account that was tracking the uh, the Jelaine Maxwell trial. That was independent. He shut down uh, an account called Politics for All, one of the most popular news aggregators in the UK. Uh, but it was also independent of the mainstream media company. So he's very eager to please the mainstream media. He's uh, very eager to play to their concerns, why he talks about healthy conversations and not being interested in free speech. Uh, so yes, the, the new CEO of a big tech company, I think is always gonna be worse than the previous one in the current media environment. You just brought up an interesting one, and I'm glad you brought it up because I thought this was fascinating. The Maxwell trial was not some Democrat versus Republican thing. It wasn't right versus left. This lady was on trial for her potential or alleged, or I guess now we can say it, confirmed ties to an international sex trafficking ring. I would think that would be something that should concern every single person out there, and I would think that Twitter would want that information out there. What possible reasoning would they have to ask that? Uh, well, I think from Twitter's perspective, it's not about the issue being discussed, but who gets to discuss it, who gets to release the information. The view of Silicon Valley at the moment is that there are uh, a few approved news sources that get to uh, release breaking news and new information. So we're seeing Silicon Valley moving to this model where if there's an important issue, a big breaking news story with live updates, uh, if you're an independent journalist, an independent account, it's going to be very difficult for you. You might even get banned. All right. Big tech in the Democratic Party. 
I have a hard time figuring out in my head who runs who, who takes their marching orders from who. They're clearly one entity. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but they're clearly one entity. Who is actually wagging the dog here? Uh, so this is very interesting because just recently, uh, Google's VP of Trust and Safety uh, during the 2020 election, uh, one of the most influential uh, positions at the company that oversees the, uh, the broad swathe of content moderation policy, joined the Biden administration, who previously worked for Obama. So during the 2020 election, uh, Google had essentially a Democratic activist uh, running one of their most influential content moderation roles. She even wrote an article about uh, securing the 2020 election. Um, and uh, Facebook is no better. One of their top uh, uh, employees for content moderation worldwide during the 2020 election was a woman called Anna McEnjew, who uh, was Joe Biden's top Ukraine advisor while he was VP. Uh, so she was intimately involved in like uh, one of the uh, the big issues at the heart of the Hunter Biden story, which Facebook then censors while she was working in a role overseeing Facebook censorship. So all of these tech companies had all of these democratic activists in these top content moderation roles during the 2020 election. And this is why I think we saw, we saw them just brazenly interfere in that election, whether it was Google censoring Breitbart News headlines and search results or Facebook shutting down the Hunter Biden story. Can you explain why who's in charge of Google would matter at all. I mean, it's just a search engine, right? You just put in your information and the search comes up. Uh, well, I think we got a glimpse of Google's uh, entire attitude towards elections when uh, I released that one-hour video of the Google executives uh, essentially having a breakdown at a company town hall meeting a few days after the 2016 election. It clearly affected them on a very emotional level. Uh, you had saw, we saw one uh, Google executive even crying on stage uh, during that uh, during that video uh, conference, and uh, you know just a couple of days after the election, we see the executives of Google committing to do massive changes because the guy they didn't like won the election. So I think it even goes beyond the profit motive; it goes beyond regular corporate interests for these Silicon Valley companies. The top level is so woke so uh, deeply tied to the Democrat apparatus that uh, it, it's very much like a religion to them. It's something they deeply care about. They want their friends, their ideology to be in charge of the U.S. government, not only because it benefits them commercially, but because they believe in it. Okay. They keep talking about what they did in 2020, what, what they did, fortifying the election. And there's so much information out there what exactly did these companies do to fortify the 2020 election? Well, you know, this is one of these euphemisms they uh, they use, and they came up with so many euphemisms after 2016. You know, it was after 2016 we started seeing the term disinformation come into popular usage. They tried to make uh, fake news in, into a big meme until Trump turned it around on them by calling CNN the fake news instead. Uh, but the purpose of all of these words was to provide the, uh, the rhetorical uh, structure to create new terms of service that would give them a much broader ability to censor their users and decide what kind of news and information goes to users' news feeds than they previously 
enjoyed. And the whole purpose of that was, I think, to interfere with the 2020 election. They they, uh, they didn't do much to even cover it up. We saw documents leaking, like the one we got at Breitbart, the good censor, in which they admit that the entire industry massively shifted towards censorship and away from free speech after 2016. So it's clear what they were responding to. They believe that they had a that their technologies, their platform would help Trump get elected in 2016, and they didn't want it to happen again. What's Section 230? Uh, Section 230 is a very critical law to uh, social media platforms in particular because it gives tech companies a legal safe harbor from lawsuits arising out of the uh, the content that they allow on their platform, so they can't be held legally liable for, say, a user's posts on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else. And it also gives them a legal shield against lawsuits arising from content that they moderate, content that they try to take down. Uh, now, I've always thought that Section 230 should be reformed, not repealed or replaced, because you need that first legal shield in order to have platforms in the first place. If Twitter were held liable for every single post on the platform, then Twitter or anything like Twitter couldn't really exist. Gab couldn't exist either. You know, Parler couldn't exist. All of these alternative platforms couldn't exist. Rumble couldn't So that legal shield is very important. The problem with Section 230 is twofold. One, it has that second legal shield, which tech companies really don't need, I think, which shields them from lawsuits taking down which is a much more editorial decision. And the second thing the law doesn't quite get right is it doesn't define what the obligations of tech companies are uh, as a result of having this special legal category. And it's been argued, I think, quite effectively that one of those obligations should be maintaining a platform for free speech and not behaving like a publisher picking and choosing what users see. Because if you're behaving like a publisher, then why shouldn't you be held liable like a publisher? Uh, I think those are the two key issues with the law. Alan, thank you so much, my brother. I appreciate you. Thanks, Jesse. Congressman Ken Buck joins us next. Joining me now, Congressman Ken Buck from the great state of Colorado. Congressman... <laughs> These people seem to be awfully intent on censoring voices from the right. I'm talking about anyone on the left these days. I know you've probably already seen this. Here's some guy named Rick Wilson on MSNBC. He doesn't have anything nice to say about you. It's whiny victimhood from Matt Gates and Ken Buck and Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Cuckoo QAnon Green and all these other people. It is the most pathetic example of special pleading I've ever seen. They act as if they've been oppressed somehow, that the world is against them somehow. Well, guess what? Twitter and Facebook aren't banning you because you're a conservative. They're banning you because you suck. Congressman, what say you? First of all, I'm honored to be in uh, mentioned in the company of, of Jim Jordan and, and other uh, heroes. So uh, I, I consider it a compliment. Uh, secondly, the guy needs an anger management class. And, and third, uh, <laughs> I don't have a problem being criticized at all. What I have a problem is uh, not getting my viewpoint out so that Americans can consider a variety of viewpoints and come to a good conclusion. 
These social media companies, they've, they've taken so much heat from the right over the past couple years for this censorship of voices just like yours. But, Congressman, they don't appear to be backing off. If anything, they appear to be ramping things up. What's going on? It's a great question because you would think that with the scrutiny that, that Congress is giving and with the criticism that received that they would uh, be a little more self-conscious and, and uh, self-aware. Uh, I agree with you. I think I think their conduct today is even more egregious than it was a year ago when they kicked the President of the United States off uh, the, the uh, social media platforms. I think their conduct uh, is really uh, arrogant in a lot of ways. And, and so uh, the, the bills that we're introducing, the bills that we're pushing that will bring more competition to the uh, to this area uh, of the market, uh, are really important because uh, parents and, and others should have the opportunity to decide whether they want to go with one of five different Facebooks or one of five different Twitters or uh, Apples. And, and so the the idea that competition is a solution, I think, is, is even more necessary today as we listen to these companies. Can you break this down for us? What's this, what, what's this, what is this legislation? What's it do? So there's a number of bills. The, the one that we actually have a discharge petition on the floor, which just means that uh, when we get a certain number of signatures, it will be uh, on the floor and ready for a vote. Uh, that, that bill just allows attorney generals in the United States to bring a lawsuit and not have that lawsuit transferred to the Northern District of California, to the Silicon Valley, to the big tech backyard. Uh, we, wanna, we wanna allow attorney generals, uh, Republicans and Democrats in this country, the opportunity to file a suit and, and uh, have the home field advantage, make sure that they are, are playing where they want to play. And that, that's really critical. Uh, that's one bill. Another bill that, that's really gotten a lot of attention recently is the non-discrimination bill. And all that says is that uh, Amazon, you can't see that somebody else's product is, is succeeding and then decide that you are going to uh, duplicate that product and then discriminate against that third party seller by dropping them on your a search platform and putting your product uh, up above. And uh, I think that most people would agree that uh, making these social media platforms uh, play fairly, uh, allow other products to be sold on their platform uh, when they benefit from those products and, and uh, allowing third party uh, manufacturers to benefit, that is a good bill. And we're getting a lot of really good support from both sides of the aisle on that. Facebook, they have something of a caste system going on over there. What is it? What are, the, what are they talking about? Yeah, so what they do, it's interesting. They have a, a very select group of people, a tenth of a percent of, of the, the users, that they uh, have a different standard for kicking off of their platform. And I'm not sure how they choose those individuals, uh, but they, uh, they've really gotten a lot of attention over the fact that they... Uh, are willing to discriminate against 99.9% .9 of the people in America uh, and around the world, frankly, but they uh, are going to treat a very select group of people differently and uh, they've, they've been criticized for it, and I think they should be criticized. Congressman, finally, are the Republicans going to, if they take back power, Lord willing, are we going to have a more aggressive Republican Party that actually does some of these things? How many Ken Bucks are we going to have out there? I, I understand. I'm glad you're there. I, I wish we had some more who wanted to actually do something about this. It seems like we get a lot of bark and not enough bite once we finally take back power. Are things changing? 
Look, I hope things change in a lot of different ways. I hope Republicans spend less than Democrats. I hope Republicans uh, reduce the regulatory burden on Americans. I hope Americans, or I hope Republicans uh, act much, much differently. If there's one message that we should be getting as the Republican Party right now is that they don't want, uh, the Americans don't want any more of Joe Biden. They don't want any more of Nancy Pelosi. And so, yes, I think that the, that the instinct of Republicans um, and, and it was my instinct before I, I began investigating big tech. And that was, you know, we don't want big government um, up against big tech. But the reality is that we need to, to make sure we have competition in the marketplace. And there are government roles in that, uh, in that effort. And so, yes, I think that uh, you're going to see more and more Republicans come to the rallying cry of antitrust uh, when it comes to big tech. Congressman Ken Buck, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Kara Frederick joins us next. Third thing we're going to do, promote competition. Look, in too many industries, a handful of giant companies dominate the market in sectors like meat processing, railroad shipping, and other areas. This isn't a new issue. Interesting that we need more competition in the meat industry and shipping industry, but I don't hear any of these cries about big tech. Joining me now is someone who may so know a little something about that, Kara Frederick, former Facebook employee. Now she apparently escaped that communist hellhole and works for Heritage, and we're happy for her about that. Kara? Why have there been no gigantic competitors to things like Facebook or Twitter? I realize, you know, we all started out with MySpace, but th these things seem to dominate and nothing else seems to catch hold. Why? Well, I think not enough has been done to investigate the anti-competitive practices of some of these companies. You know, we're conservatives. We like business. Uh, we like bottom lines. But when it comes to what these tech companies are doing, I think every conservative should be skeptical of big concentrations of power. And when we talk about the free market, the market has to be a genuine free market. So let's have people in Congress, let's have the government actually enforce the law. There's a lot of bills right now going to markup. Uh, there's a lot of energy behind this in Congress. So it is beyond the pale that Joe Biden is not talking about the consolidation of power in these big tech companies. He's choosing to look at the meat companies. He's choosing to uh, basically abrogate his responsibility for inflation and the supply supply chain crisis by turning people's eyes to things that don't matter as much as what these big tech companies are doing to a sovereign American citizenry. So Congress needs to get on it and they actually need to help enforce the laws that have a genuine free market and have mostly had a genuine free market in this country. Let's get back to that because right now it doesn't exist. Kara, in what way are they crowding people out? Are, they, are these? I'm assuming they have heavy, heavy lobbying efforts. Definitely, that's a that's a, anytime you know you look at the the Washington D.C. outfits of these big tech companies, they're not the the programmers or they're not the people that are sort of working in the the or, or structures that make code or design code and you know do the real things, solve the real problems. Their mission is to traipse around um, the the hill and uh, lobby for big tech and their wants and their needs. So yes, they have a huge arm in D.C. that's devoted 
devoted to lobbying, to propaganda. Uh, but there's other ways, too. When these companies actually stiff arm new entrants and smaller competitors, uh, you look at Google and Apple and their share of the app market. I mean, it's almost 100 percent in the U.S. And they have these strictures on other smaller companies. You know, they take 30 percent of the profits. Uh, I'm not the first person to, to figure this out. And there are many other ways that they buy up smaller companies just to kill them or to appropriate their IP. Some of these companies are grateful because that's money in the pocket of these new entrepreneurs. But there are serious smaller competitors and new entrants out there who haven't, who don't actually have a chance because of some of these policies that these tech companies are instituting in the market. Kara, you obviously used to work for Facebook, as we said. Mark Zuckerberg seems like an odd guy. And I don't even mean that to be insulting. He just seems like a different cat. What's your impression of him? So he is your typical programmer. There's a lot of things that people don't understand about Silicon Valley and the people that populate it, especially the founders and the software engineers. These guys, they're always looking for the technical fix. I don't know if you've seen it lately on Twitter, Jesse. Uh, yes, I'm still sadly on Twitter. Uh, but you see some of these, <laughs> these people saying the, the answer to the, the population bust that's happening in America, you know, we're not replicating ourselves, we're not uh, having enough kids. They say, oh, synthetic wounds will solve the problem because that's where their brains go. They always want the technical fix. So Mark, you know, an extremely smart guy, he's created value in some instances, but his mind always goes to the technical fix. They're not really operating on the same plane that we are as human beings who are very concerned with our souls, you know, the body soul composite. And I think this is evinced in meta, you know, the metaverse, the big push to get everybody to have that combination of VR, AR, gaming and whatnot. They want us to be able to worship, go to church in the metaverse. But people like you who understand uh, flesh, who understand what actually happens in the human soul, we know that we need community and we need in-person interaction and we need other people. These programmers don't necessarily think like that. That, that, that it sounds so unhealthy. Just live your whole life with some contra contraption on your face. No, no, I need to smell things. All right. Big Tech, they ran a lot of cover for those Black Lives Matter protests that took place last, last summer. They don't seem to be running the same cover for the anti-mandate protests. What's going on? Oh, there's a wild double standard. And we've seen this happen again and again, from the covering up of the Hunter Biden laptop story to the, um, the, the definition of the Wuhan lab leak theory as misinformation only to turn on a dime when the New Yorker puts out a piece and says, no, this is actually a viable theory. So big tech is operating under two different standards. There's one standard for a specific set of citizens in the United States, and then there's another standard. And I won't even say that's for specific citizens of the United States, because everybody knows CCP, Chinese Communist Party spokespeople, are all over Twitter. The Ayatollah of Iran, all over Twitter. Taliban spokespeople, all over Twitter as well. So there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's an inordinate focus on conservative speech and particular viewpoints that run uh, against the narrative that the regime is spouting right now. And we know that we are targeted as conservatives. And 
we're going to get the microscope, but the other side can move the Overton window to as wide as they want. They can do whatever they want, and the big tech will not make them pay or hold them to account. It's an inconsistent application of their terms of service and their community standards. And Americans, if you don't realize it right now, it's actually happening. Think harder about it then. Kara, I'm glad you brought up the CCP because this is something I get emailed about a lot on my radio show, on this show. I get emailed a lot about what's China's involvement with big tech. Are they running it? Are they investors? Are they in the boardroom? Do they just have a Twitter account like you pointed out? What, what, is, what is the Chinese involvement? So there's sort of a, uh, a murky involvement. Um, there's an explicit involvement. There's an exploitation of big tech and how these platforms run. So, you know, when I was in Silicon Valley, I came, I used to work for the government. I was in the intelligence community and I came and I was like, we, and the United States has adversaries, we have enemies, but there was no real geopolitical cognition at the time that I got there. This is about 2016. And you don't see, you know, somebody who may or may not be beholden to the CCP, who's working as a programmer in the office next to you. You don't really see them as a potential adversary or somebody who's about to commit IP theft. You see them as Joe, the programmer down the hall. So there was no real understanding, I don't think at that point, of the China challenge. We know, again, IP theft, espionage, that's been occurring in these companies for a long time. When you have people like executives at Microsoft that then go to Baidu, big Chinese companies, and take all they've learned from Silicon Valley and appropriate it over to another, our, our enemies and our adversaries, you know, that is a huge issue. Um, even the New York Times admitted, uh, not in a, in a hard way of tech exchange, but they admitted that China manipulates these social media platforms for their own game. There's cheerleaders for the regime all over these platforms maybe not necessarily state-linked. You know, they outsource a lot of this to patriotic netizens online that seek to say the CCP is much better than any democracy or the United States. So there's a million ways that they manipulate big tech or, or, or even within the hallways of these big tech companies. That's fascinating. I swear I could keep you on for an hour and pepper you with questions, but I'm just going to ask you one more. Private information. How do they use it? I, we're warned all the time about private information. Watch out, they got your private information. What does that even mean? I, I'm 40, I don't even know what these words mean. Yeah, so this is focused on how data is collected, stored, and shared. And when data is shared, especially with third parties, you know, companies are not very clear about what goes on here. So there needs to be data transparency measures with some teeth. So when you go online and you click on specific things, they basically create a digital profile of you based off of your behavior and then sell it to third parties. And those third parties then use it to uh, target ads to you, to uh, target specific information to you. So that's when people say, micro-targeting, those are, they build your smaller digital profiles based specifically on how you behave online, and then they exploit that information. Right now, we don't even know what that means in companies like Google, Amazon, Facebook, because they won't tell us. So and in my mind, I think they need to be incentivized to tell the American people what they're doing with their data, because most people don't know. Kara Frederick, thank you so much. That was awesome. Of course. Thanks, Jesse. All right. We have final thoughts from me next.
we have to understand what the stakes are here. I mean, we use a bunch of words out there. Now, I've used them too, like the public square and whatnot. But here's the truth. And this is how we have to accept it. Social media is now everything. And it's a big deal. You can laugh it off. I don't, I don't have the Facebook. And look, full disclosure, I have one. I never post on there. But it's a big deal. It's powerful. Facebook, Twitter, it's powerful because the people in power think it's powerful. All the billionaires are on there. All the politicians are on there. The corporate CEOs, the corporations themselves have pages on there. This is how people get information. This is how people exchange information. This is how people communicate with each other. If we have a bunch of America-hating communists in control of all of these companies, that's a national security risk. Would you have allowed the Soviets control of the American telephone lines back in 1960? I think you would have stepped up and said, uh, no. Well, that's what we have right now. And I'm worried. I'll be honest with you. It's just just you and I talking for final thoughts here. I'm worried the GOP doesn't have the stones to actually do something. I know we're going to have a lot of this. Because it's election year, right? They're all going to campaign like Genghis Khan. Now, we'll go get them. Elect me. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll defund this. We'll attack that. There's a lot of this this year. I want to see some bite. I want to see some bite. All right. We'll do it again. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 